You see, everybody has a foundation of ideas. Everybody does. And some people get it from the Bible. Some people get it from a book like the Koran. Some people get it from their dad. Some get it from their mom. Some of us form our own ideas. And that's how we live life. Everybody has a foundation of ideas. Not any one of us is exempt. God wants to take us and transform us into a new person. We sang a song that says that each heart would be filled with love. That's what God wants to do. God wants to transform us into a new person. And He tells us in His Word that the way He does that is by changing the way we think. And if you come to connection, everything we do here is based upon God's Word. We seek, we seek to emphasize His truth and what He has to say to us. I want your thinking to change. I want you to be a better husband. I want you to be a better wife. I want you to be a better child, a better parent. I want you to be a better employee or an employer. I want you to be a better driver down the highway. I want you to be a better neighbor. Why? Because that's what God wants us to be. Because He knows it's our everyday life that impacts people, that changes people. You see, all of us experience tragedies and crises. We experience hurt that comes upon us because of what somebody else did or because of what we did. Every one of us goes through this broken world with its difficulties. And we try as hard as we can not to experience those difficulties. But the Creator, God, knows that. And He wants to help us face this world and not just exist in it. He wants us to be victorious. And it's from this book, the Bible, that God speaks to us. Look on the screen with me. I want to show you a verse before we op- I ask you to open your Bibles to a passage we're going to talk about today. But 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It begins by saying all Scripture is given by God. Now, I'm using this from the New Century Version, okay? And I'll read out a New Living Translation. Some of you carry the NIV, the New International Version. Some of you carry the King James Bible. Some of you may be carrying the Message Bible. I use different versions because sometimes they say it a little bit clearer. And also, I want you to understand, it's not the English translation that makes the Bible the Word of God. It's what He gave to His people years ago. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. Okay? But He starts out, all Scripture is given by God. In other words, the Bible is not a book of myths. It's not a book of fables. It's not a book of stories. It's the very Word of God. The Bible is not human ideas about God. The Bible is God revealing Himself to us. It is the process that God has used to help us know the invisible. Because we can't see God as a figure like we see objects here. He talks to us about that in the Bible. The Bible is God revealing Himself to us. Helping us to know who He is. He's the Creator. We're the created. It's the Bible that helps us listen reach our potential as image bearers. For God created us, as He said, like Him. That's that's so vast. But look, he goes on. All Scripture is given by God and is useful. Look what he says. It's useful for teaching. In other words, the Bible can teach us much that is valuable. He says it's, it's useful for teaching, for showing. Now look what he says next. For showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching how to live right. Now, some people don't want to hear the Bible. They don't want to be in a place where people talk about the Bible. They don't want anybody to tell them, you know, God said. They don't want to hear their parents call attention to the Bible. They don't want to hear a brother or sister. They don't want to hear anybody tell them the Bible. You see, because the Bible talks to us about the way we live life and where we live it wrong, and it teaches us how to live it correctly. It goes on, verse 17, using the Scriptures... The person who serves God will be capable, 
having all that is needed to do every good work. Again, let me say it is from the Bible that I get the ability to be the image bearer of God and to do what the image bearer of God is to do. It comes from the Word. That's why when you come here, we spend a great deal of time looking at the Word. My words are only valuable as they might help you understand a little bit better through maybe my creativity or the way I say things, what God is saying. And even though there are many, many religions in this world, there are not many books that claim to be from God. See, whenever I was in the university, nobody told me that. Matter of fact, sociology teacher says there's many religions and many religious books. People who do any kind of investigation will find real quick, there are many world religions, but there are not many holy books that those religions consider coming from God. Islam has the Quran. You heard that mentioned in one of the videos. Okay? The Quran, history tells us, from the Muslims themselves, was revealed to Muhammad. One man in his lifetime, okay, in the 600s A.D., just 1,300 years ago, 1,700, 1,300 years ago, 1,400 years ago. One man in his lifetime says he has God's book from Allah. An angel gave it to him. And then there is Mormonism. Mormonism claims that the Book of Mormon is a holy book. One man, Joseph Smith, in the 1800s, just 200 years ago, said an angel came to him and revealed to him this, these golden tablets written in ancient Egyptian and helped him understand what they said. So he wrote them in English. He taught them to his followers. One man in his lifetime saying, this book is from God. And it's a holy book. And then Judaism has what is they call the Tanakh, which basically is our Old Testament, though it has less books. But what they do, they join some of the books. They put what we call minor prophets all together in one book. They put 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, all as one book. But basically it is the Old Testament that we have in our Christian Bible. Now, they don't claim one man got that book. Many, many authors over many, many years. And then we move to the Christian Bible, which is both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you put the total time of its writing, it's written over 1,500 years. Not one person's lifetime. Not from one person's lips. God told me. Okay? But over 40 authors... And if anybody investigates it, the authors aren't from the same life experiences. Some were very wealthy people. Some were very poor people. Some were kings. Some were just prophets. 1,500 year period, God gave us what we know today as the Bible. 40 authors. Written on three continents. Not in one person's cave or one person's backyard. And yet it all comes together and it all talks about God seeking to help His creation, humans. We are His special creation. God never said a tree is as valuable as us. God never said an animal is as valuable as us. We are His special creation, human beings. And all this book does from beginning Genesis to what we call the last book, Revelation, is it tries to help us understand how to have a relationship with our Creator. Because we are His image bearers. And He wants us to understand what He, God, has experienced for all eternity, which is a unity and a love and a compassion. And so, the Bible are the words of God that helps us become all that God intends for us to be. If you have your, your worship handout, there's a page for blanks. 
Look on that page. Look at the first blank. I wrote, because the Bible is a book about God seeking to bring people into a relationship with Him, and that is only possible through Jesus Christ, then the Bible is a book about Jesus Christ. And that's what it is. If you have been going to connect groups, in here, there's connect groups that are meeting this week. If you've been going to connect groups, we've started with Genesis, and now we're just starting with the New Testament, but we went to the Old Testament, and we would talk about how it identifies with Christ. The Bible's a book about Christ. You all who know about the Egyptian slavery and the Lamb whose blood was shed so the people would be spared from the death angel, blood of Christ. The Bible is a book about Jesus Christ. That's what it points to. And we're going to see today and what we're going to talk about a little bit that Jesus Himself calls attention to that fact. The fact that the Bible is about Him. Him. And if I understand the Bible, then I come to understand it's all about Him. The book and life itself. My marriage to Laura is all about Christ. Rearing my four children, it's all about Christ. What I do on my other job, it's all about Christ whenever I relate to the customers. What I do here, it's all about Christ. Once you make it all about yourself, you'll get it out of kelter. So if you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn to the book of Luke. That's where we're at today. Luke, the 18th chapter. If you got one of those New Testaments, it's page 69. And I invite you, if you do not have a Bible, there's New Testaments out here. Grab one when you leave. Bring it back with you because I'm going to ask you, throughout these sermons, I've asked you to underline. And I try to get you to underline what I think are the most important segments that when you read this six months from now, or this week, or two years from now, that underline will make you understand what all those words around, those underlined sections, are pointing to. Just to help you understand the Bible a little better. Because most of us say, I'm going to read the book of Luke, and we just read to get the first part of chapter 1 to end of chapter 1, and another time, first part of chapter 2 to end of chapter 2, and we don't really get the meaning. And so we're looking at this. We've been over a year on the book of Luke. That's nothing to brag about. Okay, that just takes a long time. Because Luke is investigating things about Jesus Christ. Never walked with Jesus. Luke did not walk with Jesus Christ. See? But Luke has gone back to the area where Jesus Christ lived. He's talking to the people that experienced Jesus Christ. He's writing to us about what happened. What they have told him. Jesus said what Jesus did. Eyewitnesses. It's the way we have always recorded human history. Either somebody who walked with a person, writes about the person. Matthew, John, they walked with Jesus. You can read their Gospels. Mark, people who investigate historic events, talks to people who talked to that person or walked with that person or were close to, to that situation. Luke and Mark, Mark's writing what Peter said Jesus did. Luke's writing from a Gentile, non-Jewish perspective from the people whose lives were touched by Jesus. And so in the 18th chapter, we're going to start there at the 31st verse. But before I do, I want to call attention, I want to call attention to an article that says, in your worship handout, what we do speaks louder than what we say. And I want to ask us, please, the last four rows on this side, if we could leave those just empty for people who come at the last minute, that would help out. There's a lot of seats, we just got to find them. Okay, you can read the article two weeks ago. I said last Sunday, but it was August the 4th. Seven people came in here about 11 o'clock, 10 to 11, something like that. They, one of them told me a week later, looked through those windows, could not see seven seats, and so they just left. Okay? And if we say we want people to come to connection, then we've got to realize we're the ones who adjust. Not those people who are coming, we who adjust. And so we make room for latecomers. Okay, And then also at the bottom of that page, it talks about maybe creating another worship service. And you can read that. And if you're interested, I do need you to put your name on that. Because if we do not have people who give us any indication, then that may not be what we need to do. But you see, we're almost full today. There's some seats over here. Okay? 
So you might pay attention to that. Well, let's go. Luke 18, verse 31. We stopped at verse 30 last or two weeks ago, and now we're at 31 today. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus said, listen, we're going up to Jerusalem. Okay? I want you to underline the rest of the verse, because when you read this passage of Luke, you've got to understand the rest of the verse. And that's what it says, where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. Jesus is, is telling His followers that the prophecies that are written in the Old Testament, now they didn't, have, they didn't call it Old Testament, okay? It's what they knew from the Old Testament books, from what Isaiah said, from what Jeremiah said, from what Malachi said, from what Micah said, from what Zechariah, and you know I can impress you trying to go through the names of the prophets, or unimpress you because you said, oh, you missed one, Okay? But Jesus is saying, we're going to go to Jerusalem, okay? And he says, the predictions that the prophets gave are going to come true. You're going to see it. Now, I wonder if you were there and you knew what the prophets wrote and you saw it happen before Jesus, would you understand it all? Most likely we wouldn't until we step back and reflect. We're people who usually we respond immediately to something, and then we step back a week, two days, a month, and we say, wow, I just didn't see that as clearly as I should have. I didn't react the way I should have reacted. But look at 32, okay? He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. 700 years earlier in the book of Isaiah, the 50th chapter, it said this. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. So Jesus is saying, we're going to go up there and you're going to see these things happen. And they're going to see this happen in front of their eyes. Verse 33, they will flog him with a whip. 700 years earlier in Isaiah 53, Isaiah said he's going to be beaten with a whip. And kill him. 700 years earlier in Isaiah 53, this was prophesied. But on the third day he will rise again. 1,000 years earlier in the book of Psalms, Psalm 16 I believe it was, This was told that He's going to raise back from life to life. thousand years. See, Jesus is telling them before it happens. Because if you know the story, they run and hide whenever Jesus is killed and He's buried. But Jesus is telling them before it happens. Verse 34, but they didn't understand any of this. Well, there are people like you and I. We don't often think deeper until we reflect on what happens. I say something to Laura that I think, oh, gee, I shouldn't have said that, and I reflect. So I say, I'm sorry. Or I say, hey, let me explain that better. My wife, Laura, is sitting over here, so that's why I'm pointing there. But see, we often are people that don't understand what's happening when it happens. We don't understand the opportunity we have to love, to show compassion. You know that song we sang? We don't understand the opportunity we have when we're at work, and we refuse lit. Anger and hostility flood our, our experience. The opportunity to show people Jesus Christ makes a difference. Until we reflect, we say, oh, gee, I shouldn't have done that, or I should have done this. They don't understand. They're people like us. goes on in 34, the significance of His words was hidden from them. Okay? Because they don't understand He's going to die for their sins. Look, people today say, that don't make any difference to me. They don't understand that. They're looking for a Messiah that's going to throw the Roman people out of control, the power source, the Roman emperor out of control, and the Messiah is going to take control. They don't understand dying on a cross. Just like you and I, you know, you do something bad to me, I grew up, I'd punch you in the mouth. I mean, I had, I had six brothers. You defend yourself. Somebody's going to hurt you? Stand up for yourself. Be a man. But you know, God talks about Blessing people who hurt you. God talks about praying for people who despitefully hurt you. See, God, different idea. They don't understand this. They can't understand it. He's going to Jerusalem and He's going to die. They can't put that all together. Goes on. And they failed to grasp what He was talking about. 
Now, let me say, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. Jesus is going to die on the cross. He's going to die on the cross because it's God's plan for Him to shed His blood for you and for me and for them. And they can't understand that yet. And sometimes when you and I first hear that, that sounds gory, that sounds awkward, sounds like, oh man, I, I don't want any of that. And then we start looking at life and we see, guys, there's things that happen in our life we wish we'd never done. we got sin. And we see other people having sin. And how are we ever going to relate? How, how is Laura ever going to forgive me and I forgive her if we don't understand God's forgiveness through Christ? How can I ever forgive my adult children for wrong choices? How can they ever forgive their dad for wrong choices if they don't understand the forgiveness of Christ? And listen, you and I have lived in families where people don't forgive. They don't understand the forgiveness of Christ. And so if you leave the Bible out, you don't get that stuff. And that changes our thinking. And that transforms us into new people. And Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and He's going to die. Now look, someone says, ah yeah, you know what He did? He learned, he learned the Old Testament prophecies. He learned the prophecies and He just went and He made it so it would work out so that He could fulfill them. Listen folks, listen. Jesus could never plan that He was going to be born of a virgin. 700 years before he's born, Isaiah said he'd be born of a virgin. He couldn't have planned that. Jesus couldn't have planned where he was going to be born. Micah, 500 years before Jesus was born, said he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, I want to stop for a minute. You will not find in any of those other religious books I told you, you will never find anything that gives prophecy concerning their prophets. You will not find this kind of evidence. Jesus couldn't have planned this kind of stuff. Look, look, we're going to get to whenever He dies on the cross and where He's buried. Jesus could have never planned His burial. You say, yeah, we plan ours. No, because Jesus is going to die like a criminal. And we know in the Roman system, criminals are taken off the cross and criminals are thrown onto a pile. Okay? And dogs would come and dogs would eat their bodies until somebody set the bodies on fire and burned them up. Now that's how Jesus is supposed to die if He dies on a cross as a criminal. But the New Testament evidence is He's buried in a rich man's tomb. Jesus couldn't have planned that. And Jesus couldn't have planned His resurrection from the dead. Both the, the prophecy about the rich man's tomb was given 680 years earlier by Isaiah. He, he couldn't plan his resurrection. That was given a thousand years before in Psalms. Look, I'm going to bore you if I go with too much. I'm just telling you something. There's no, there's no religious book, holy book. There's many religions. There's not very many. I just told you there's probably about four. All other religions like Buddhism and Hinduism, they never claim to have a book from God. I'm just telling you the Bible, if people investigate it, it builds foundation for why we can trust it. And so Jesus says, you guys watch, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to see what God has said in the past hundreds, thousands of years before is going to come about. So they can reflect it. Wow! He is who He said He is. He is the Messiah. He is God. And you know what? They left their hiding and in their boldness, they brought transformation to the lives of others through sharing what God has said. Well, let's get back to Luke. Let's look at a man now. Because we're going to see, after Jesus says He's on His way to Jerusalem and He's going to fulfill these predictions, okay, He meets a man. Verse 35, as Jesus approached Jericho, okay, we, we read, He's going to Jerusalem. Jericho's about 20 miles from Jerusalem. Okay, so it's a natural point for a Jew to go through Jericho on their way to Jerusalem. So Jesus is getting ready to enter Jericho. Next week we're going to see he goes into Jericho. But on his way to enter Jericho, look what it says, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. Now that's a strategic place for a beggar to be put. The main road going into this main city. Jericho was a main city back then. Guys going the way... Way people back then who, who didn't have, if they were hurt or they couldn't have a job or, or they were down in their luck, is they sat on the side of the road and a good Jew was not to pass them. If they had any extra, they were to give a coin, they were to give something to help that person. It didn't take much to get behind for a day, okay? They were to give something. So where would you put a blind man who, who can't take care of himself? His family would take him or a friend would take him and put him alongside the road where people will pass by on their way to Jericho. 
Okay? And so that's where he is. It's just a natural place where he ought to be. This is a guy that's going to look rugged, ragged. This is a guy that's, that's not probably going to smell too good. This is a guy that, you know, probably not very clean. And so they set him there, hoping that somebody will help him. He's a man fighting for his survival. That's what he is. He's a man fighting for his survival, sitting there on that road. And verse 36 says, When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. In other words, <clears throat> he says, I've been here many times, and, and I know what it is for a few people to walk by, and often nobody walking by, and then sometimes one person walking by, and sometimes two or three walking together by. But all of a sudden, he hears a noise of a crowd. And you know, he's a blind man. His senses of hearing are very heightened, much more probably than you and I who have eyes. And he's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't see. But boy, there's a crowd. There's a lot of people. Man, why are a lot of people coming through? What's going on? See? And so he asked, what's happening? What's happening? See? Verse 37 said, they told him that Jesus, the Nazarene, because he was born, or that's where he raised up at Nazareth. Jesus the Nazarene was going by. In other words, hey man, you want to know what's going on? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus who's a Nazarene? He's coming by. Okay? Now you see, to some people who were Jews, they would say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Remember, whenever Jesus' disciples were being formed, one brother went to another brother and said, we found the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And he says, Nothing good comes out of the northern part of the Israel. So this blind man hears it's Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus from Nazareth. And so what do he do? He's sitting there and all of a sudden he starts shouting. He starts shouting. Why does he start shouting? Because apparently he knows something about Jesus. And he's alongside the road fighting for survival, wanting people to help him. And so why does he start shouting? Because you see, he sees the potential for help. Just like sometimes when you and I get together in experiences like this, we see a potential for help. Sometimes when somebody talks to you about the Bible, you see the potential for help. Sometimes when your problems are bigger than your life, and somebody introduces you to some advice that comes from God, you see the potential for help. The problem is, most of us won't get shouting about it. We'll just contemplate, and then we'll forget it. This guy starts shouting. And look what it says. It says, So shouting, okay, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. What do the people do? Be quiet. The people in front of him, in front, yelled at him. In other words, this guy knows something about Jesus. That's Jesus of Nazareth. I can't see, but I know I've heard the people talk. And remember, his, hearing's, his hearing is heightened. Because he has no eyes. And so he's listened to people and they've talked about this Jesus who works miracles. Remember, Jesus has been doing this for three years. He's only got like a week left to live. So he's been doing it for three years. Word is going around and he's going toward Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem have been talking about it. Religious people are saying, can you hear about this Jesus? Did you hear what he did? Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? And this guy has heard. And so he's sitting here fighting for survival because life has offered him a hand that is not the best. And when he hears Jesus now, he says, Son of David, Son of David. And you know what he's saying? To a Jew, he said, Hey, King, King, King Messiah, King Messiah, help me, King Messiah, King Messiah. And what do people do? Hey, just be quiet. You see, this guy whose hearing has been heightened because of his blindness has heard the stories and he's fighting for survival because life's beating him down. And what he does when he hears Jesus is near, he starts saying, Jesus, Son of David, help me. King Jesus, King Jesus, Messiah, come and help me. In other words, he has this kind of belief. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes people get around you and they say, you need to settle down on this Jesus stuff. You're getting carried away with this Jesus stuff. You're giving too much time to learn this Jesus stuff. You, you know what? You've got to realize life is more than just Jesus stuff. And when people tell you that, here's what I challenge you to do. Evaluate their life. they got it all together, don't they? 
Great relationship in their marriage, great relationship with their family, great attitude toward work. They see the possibilities of life. They don't always talk about the impossibilities. Just, just super people. I'm 20, 21, and when those Christian men touched my life when I was in the military, they said one thing. If there's something you want God to do in your life, find somebody whose God is doing that in their life. Hang out with them. Don't hang out with people where it's not happening. Because you can learn from those people. This guy, these people tell him to be quiet, and you and I have people around us saying, be quiet. And look what he does. 39 goes on. But he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me! What's wrong with you, fella? Can you imagine the people around him? This is a guy, I want you to understand, it's a guy whose life has given him a bad hand. He's fighting for survival. He's just trying to live for the next day. And he hears, here comes this Jesus who he has heard has done tremendous things and apparently believes in Him and he says, Jesus, Son of David, which means you're the promised Messiah, you're the King that's going to come, help me! And some of us need to be that determined. Because we let people talk us out of it. This is an act of faith, folks. That's what this is, an act of faith. This man apparently has heard people talk about Jesus. He's put, listen to me, he's put what he has heard about Jesus with what the prophets have said. And he's giving this demonstration of his faith. Look on the screen. Look what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah, 600 years before Jesus came. He said, For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteous. And this man's alongside the road. He's fighting for survival. He's got a bad hand in life. He probably does, as I said, he doesn't smell too good. People probably don't really like to be around him except maybe a friend or family, whoever he has. And he hears Jesus coming along and he declares what Jeremiah said, you're the king! King! Help me king! You're the Messiah! Help me! Help me Messiah! You're the son of David! I believe you're the one that the prophets have talked about. And it's by faith. And that's how any of us come to Jesus. By faith. We can hear about Him. But somewhere we have to decide... Will I believe it? And when I believe it, will I call upon His name? And Matt talked about that the Bible says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's by faith. Now look, verse 40. Look what it says in, in Luke 18. When Jesus heard Him, when Jesus heard Him, He stepped, or He stopped, and He ordered that the man be brought to Him. In other words, when Jesus heard this man declaring the truth about Him, you know, he stops. I'm going to tell you, every time in my life, every time in my life and in yours, when we by faith declare who Jesus is in the face of our difficulties, He will stop. Crowd of people. One blind man shouting, Son of David! Help me! Or King Jesus, help me! Messiah, help me! And people saying, you be quiet! And when Jesus hears, Son of David! He stops. And He ordered the man be brought to Him. Hey, King Jesus, will you help me? I'd like to see it. Who, who, who's the fellow that hollered? Now you're really in trouble, sucker! I want, to, I want to hear who has, by an act of faith, because I haven't even died on the cross yet. Who, by an act of faith, has declared me in the midst of this crowd? Bring that man to me. Bring that person to me. Now look, it goes on. When he comes, he says, As the man came, 
or I'm sorry, let's, let's look on your worship handout, the next blank, because I don't want you to miss that. The next blank. Jesus always responds to demonstrated faith. That's what this man did. He demonstrated his faith in the crowd. And so how do you demonstrate your faith in who Jesus is? You're out there. How do you demonstrate it? How do you demonstrate your faith? When I'm at the, the senior in high school, Stephen Decatur High School football game, and I'm there with my date, and we leave, and she takes her hand. And you ever watch young folks? Put it in their pocket. She sticks it in the back of my pants. And I'm not even, don't even know I'm going to be a pastor or anything. I just know that's not what you're supposed to do. And I take it out. And she turned me down the next time I asked her out. Which is probably to my favor. When do you demonstrate your faith? Your wife chews you out. You've been caught, whoever you are. Things don't look so good. Life looks black and dark. How do you demonstrate your faith who Jesus is in those times? This man is fighting for his life for that day. And he demonstrates his faith. And so Jesus says, I want to know who this guy is. Bring him here. Now look, he goes on in verse 40. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. God says to this man, what do you want me to do for you? God says to one of His special creation, what do you want me to do for you? And I want you to know, this world will tell you God don't care anything about you because you either made wrong choices or it seems like you're being left out. And I want you to realize this, in the Jewish faith, this man is not a man blessed by God. If you have some kind of physical problem, if there's difficulty in your life, it means God has withdrew His blessing from you. And yet here is God standing before Him saying, what can I do for you? And I want you to know that's what God does for you and me. He comes to us and He says, come on, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Lord, He said, I want to see. In other words, I need a transformation. And I want to tell you, for most of us, that's what we need. We need to see. Because you see, you're still carrying revenge. You're still carrying hate. You're still harboring ill feelings. How many times have I said in connection over the six years, ex-mates still hating ex-mates? What? Is Christ really Lord? Your children hear that all the time. The person at work kept you from getting the promotion and you're still carrying the grudge and telling that epic story? What? And you're a Christian? You see, we all need a transformation. I need it. You need it. This man says, I want to see. What he's saying is, I need a transformation in my life. And Jesus said, all right, receive your sight. Underline the next five words. Because when you read this story, you've got to hear the next five words or else you're going to miss what is important in this story. Your faith has healed you. You want a transformation? Then King Jesus helped me. And do what Jesus wants you to do. Don't do what the world tells you to do. Don't do what your emotions are telling you to do. Because your emotions often say, strike out. You want a transformation? King Jesus, help me. And when He offers His help, you have to accept it. And let it have place in your life. And I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a crowd around you going to say, no, that's wrong, don't! Do you want to be healed? I don't know what the situation is. You want to be healed? You know, maybe it's a financial situation. What do I say? Hey, we got some people meet with you and they'll help you learn how to budget your money. No, I don't want it to be healed like that. See, connection does many things in trying to help people. Where churches offer classes and classes don't work. We try to put one-on-one -on -one with people. You see, I don't know what the transformation you need, but make Jesus Lord. By faith, demonstrate that. Don't let your emotions and, and your foundation of your ideas take over. That just complicates your life. 
Very important. You underline those five words. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. And, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Now I want you to understand something very important here. Okay? But before I talk about this blind man, I want you to read this next screen. I'll give you time. See who can read it. According to research at an English university, it doesn't matter in what order the letters in a word are. Uh, isn't this true? Isn't this how some of you guys text? See, we know that's true, isn't it? See, look, this is because we do not read every letter by itself, but the word as a whole. See, the first, the first and the last letters are what's important. Now, why do I bring that up before I tell you about this blind man? Because there's two things you must believe. First, God is the Creator. Do you hear me? You see, you can't deal with Jesus without dealing with God. First thing, God is the Creator. And the last thing, the end of it all, is Jesus is Lord of all. You get anything in first before God is creator, and you try to put anything in place of Jesus Lord, you got problems. You got problems. You see, this, this blind man who is just struggling for his life, he just believes in God. You say, how do you know? Because we don't know anything else about it. Oh, there's a little bit more we can learn from another gospel, but not much more. Maybe his name, okay? But you see, he believes in God because he believes in God's Word. Are you with me? Because it's the prophets who wrote about the Son of David, the Messiah, the King. And now he believes Jesus is King. He's Lord of all. You've got to have the beginning and you've got to have the end. This world will tell you, no, there's much more important things and there's nothing more important. And if you've got the beginning, God is Creator, and the end, Jesus is Lord of all. And by faith, demonstrate that. God will bring transformation into your life. The lesson of this one blind man. You know what's amazing? Listen. Do we really believe he's the only blind person in Jericho or the only person along the road wanting help in Jericho? Come on, this is like First Friday in Mount Vernon. They're all out there for business, you understand? First Friday is an enjoyable experience. But you see, this is where they're going to be located strategically. But he's the only one who de demonstrates his faith, who shouts, when others says, be quiet, he still shouts. A poor beggar who is struggling to keep life together for himself. And he hears Jesus is there. And he just starts shouting, Son of God, Jesus, Son of David, Jesus the King, Jesus the Messiah, help me. So what can we see? On your worship handout, I wrote the three things that I think are important as we look at this blind man. One, his faith preceded him getting his sight. If you were blind, all you would want is your sight. You'd hear Jesus and give your sight. You'd just go to Jesus. You'd hear Jesus can make your marriage better, so you go to church. You're going to go to church. You hear, you hear, you know that Bible study can make you forgive that terrible thing your father abandoned you or whatever it was, see? So you go to that Bible study. Listen, see, because you, you, you want that. Before this man, before this man even gets his sight, his faith is presented. And that's what you and I do. Some Sundays you don't want to be here. Sometimes you don't want to go to connect group. Sometimes you don't want to forgive. Sometimes you don't want to say, okay, let's find a way to work this out. Sometimes you don't want to bless those who hurt you. And your faith is presented before the healing or the transformation takes part or takes place. Two, he trusted who God said Jesus was. All he had was the Word. That's all he had. 
This guy's never met Jesus. This guy's never saw Jesus. Well, wait a minute. Well, okay. Yeah, he's never saw Jesus. You catch that? I'm going to get to that point in a little bit. This man! This man only has God's Word! He presents his faith when he calls out and he bases it all on trusting God's Word that Jesus is the One. He is the Son of David. He is the Messiah. Go to the Connect group tonight or this week. You're going to hear John the Baptist has to get that same affirmation in the New Testament. You and I have to have the same affirmation. It comes from God's Word. It doesn't come because you walk with Mike Davis or some other strong Christian and they make you strong. It's because either Mike Davis or that strong Christian shares with you the truth of God and you hold on to the truth of God. That's where your transformation takes place. If it's just hanging out with somebody, then when you get away from them, you fall down. This man, second, he trusted who God said Jesus was. He trusted God's Word. And then the third thing on your worship handout, it says, after demonstrating his faith and trust, then his eyes were open, and he saw the truth. He heard about Jesus, but then he saw Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, you come to church and you're wondering, can this help? And you've tried it before. And you maybe went to other churches or other Bible studies. And you've tried it, and it falls off. Because you see, you won't... Present your faith. Based upon what? Not me. Not on another human being. On God's Word. You just won't lock into that. Until you present your faith, trusting what God's Word says, then you discover the truth. And you see it come true in your life. There are people who could stand up in here and could tell you, yes, that truth has transformed me. I have had behavior problems, I have had relationship problems, I have trust problems, I have been hurt, abandoned, I have been, my, my life has been invaded with bad stuff. And in faith, I've trusted God's Word and I've seen the truth. My life is better than all that crud. And I know His peace. I know His compassion. I know His love. I know His presence. That's what this blind man's story is all about. And if you read it so fast and you miss those, you're just going to miss it. And Jesus said, I want to tell you, fella, you're healed. You're healed because of your faith in what God said. Now, open your eyes and look. You know the first thing he saw when he opened his eyes and looked? Lord Jesus! That's what you look like! And when you by faith trust God's Word, He will open your eyes and you will look married life. That's what it's really like. Parent life. That's what it's really like. Forgiveness. That's what it's really like. <gasps> Renewed relationships that God changes. That's what it's really like. We're all blind beggars needing the help of God. So how does it break down in your life? How does this all break down? Do you stop demonstrating your faith? Does, does your life get so busy or others start crowding on you that you just stop demonstrating your faith? How does it break down in your life? Do you stop trusting what God says? Oh, was there a time you, you paid attention, you carried your Bible, you looked at the Word, but you know what? The Word's not important anymore. What's more important is make sure you got money in your pocket. Right? That's more important. Make sure you got the baby's diapers. That's more important. Make sure there's air in your tires. The battery's charged up. That's more important. Have you stopped trusting what God says? Have you been beaten down? Have you said it's just too hard? How does this break down in your life? Do you stop looking for the truth? Have you given up? Your marriage can't be what God wants it to be. Your relationship with your parents can't be or your children can't be what God says it should be. You can't find that relationship at work. Have you, have you just given up on seeing the truth come forth? Look at the last blank on your message map. The last blank on the message map. It says, what we are to do, just look on your message, I mean on your worship handout. What we, there it is, what we are to do is trust in Jesus by faith and in time, in time, we will see the truth concerning how to live life. And then others, look at others, will see the transformation and give praise to God. Because don't miss that last verse of that 18th chapter. It says, 
He praised. And then others praised. That's why I say this. I've said it over the six years I've been with Connection. Let God get a hold of one person in the family who will trust God's Word and live and love like Jesus and He'll transform the whole family. People start praising God for the change that they see in you. We're going to demonstrate our faith in who Jesus is. He told us, He told His followers before He died on the cross. He said, I want you to do this until I return. Now they didn't even understand that because He hadn't left them yet. He was still alive. He says, I want you to, to take the bread and the juice and I want you to remember what I've done for you. So we're going to take face down at this time. Face down is our communion, our Lord's Supper. Eucharist if you've come from a more ritualistic church. We're going to take face down. We're going to take the elements of the bread and the juice. Why? Because Jesus said, when we take the bread, we're saying we believe that He gave His body for us. When we drink the juice, we're saying we believe that His blood was shed for our sins. He told His followers that they should do this on a regular basis until He comes back because it proclaims to everyone who might see them do this that they believe Jesus died for them and shed His blood for them. And so we're going to take it. And I invite you to take it. If you are a believer, because that's who's to take the elements. A non-believer, it doesn't mean anything to you. Because you've never claimed your faith and that Jesus died on the cross for you, that He shed His blood for your sins. But we invite you as a believer, if you want to take the elements, to take it. I'd like for those who are going to serve to come and take your place. Up here, up here, one back there, okay? We've got three locations. Come on up here and get in your place. We've got three locations. And in just a little bit, I'm going to invite you to come and take the elements, okay? And when you do, the way we do this is somebody's holding a loaf of bread. You just pull off a piece of that loaf of bread. Don't take half the loaf. There's others coming behind you, okay? Just take off a piece of that loaf of bread and dip it in that juice, Eat it now or take it back to your seat, however you want to do that. But when you do, I ask you to remember, to remember in your mind what God has done by sending His Son to die on the cross for you. To remember how much God loves you. To remember how much God cares about you. I ask you to remember that He loves you and He loves you and He loves you. Because this world wants you to believe you're not worth loving. You come when you're ready. You come.